to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. I have taught and worked in schools across metropolitan and regional Australia, and I am dedicated to supporting big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I want educators to know, you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. Together, we are going to learn the lessons to help us teach well and be well. Let the learning begin. Hello and welcome to episode 102 of the podcast. I'm your host, Meg Durham, and today we're going to be exploring the importance of blocking out time away from the relentless demands of school life to create a space to think, reflect, and plan. Recently, I had the privilege of seeing James Clear, the author of the international bestseller Atomic Habits, Tiny Changes, Remarkable Results, speak live in Melbourne, and it was an incredible event. James's book has had such an impact on my life and has had such an impact on so many other educators' lives. In the presentation, he shared the key messages of the book and then followed it up with a thought-provoking Q&A session. And this session really left me thinking about all the ways that we can set ourselves up for success and all the ways that we derail ourselves. And one of the questions from the audience to James was, out of all the high performers you work with, what is the most common habit they possess? And his answer was very clear. They create time for deliberate reflection. They take the time to move away and think, to move off the dance floor and to get on that balcony and think about what's working, what's not working here. And as they go through this process each and every day for five to 10 minutes, they're making tweaks on the go and that's what continues to take them to the next level. So I am thrilled to be exploring this topic further with the beautiful and warm Karen Stein. Karen has written a book that really takes our self-awareness and our ability to take action to the next level. Her book is titled Be Your Own Leadership Coach, Self-Coaching Strategies to Lead Your Way. Karen is a professional certified executive coach with over 30 years experience, including 23 years as a partner at Deloitte, where she coaches senior leaders towards their professional goals. With over 2,000 one-on-one coaching hours, Karen has a unique perspective on the intersection of coaching psychology and lived leadership experience. Karen appears as a guest on podcasts, presents keynotes, and writes and shares articles with her network to enable those around her to live their best life, be great leaders, and ripple their impact to make the world a better place. Karen coaches with consideration of kindness in leadership, well-being, best self, and leadership impact. In this conversation, we discuss what is self-coaching, why taking time to reflect is vital for long-term success, how to start your self-coaching journey, and so much more. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Karen Stein. Karen, welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. 
Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to be talking about your incredible new book, Be Your Own Leadership Coach, Self-Coaching Strategies to Lead Your Way. Why did you write this book? Well, I wrote this book for a very purposeful reason. Uh, I'm an executive coach and I support many people providing coaching on an individual basis. So uh, it's a very privileged opportunity to sit with people one-on-one and provide them with help and support. I talk about being one-on-one either in the room or on Zoom. And it occurred to me in the coaching that I do that there's many more people who don't have a coach working with them or sitting with them side by side when they step into a challenge. And even those who do have coaching, the coaching will go for a finite period. So often when we're faced with a challenge, we don't necessarily have that access to a coach uh, to enable us to, to gain that support. So the intention was to write a book which would increase the equity of access to coaching strategies. So many more people would be able to be in support of themselves and work through the many challenges that we face day by day. Yes, there are so many challenges that we face day by day. And this book, really gives us a way to navigate them in a meaningful, purposeful way. And there's so much we can learn through coaching and self-coaching. So what is self-coaching? Well, for those who are familiar with coaching, it's an exploratory process. And self-coaching is actually doing the work yourself. So it's not having somebody direct you. It's more about you engaging in an exploratory process of discovery where you're trying to build open your perspectives towards your behaviours, your emotions and your thinking and try and push open the boundaries of those perspectives so you gain more insight into your behaviours, your emotions and thinking to better enable you with the choices you can make towards the goals that you want to have. So it's a, it's a process involving self-reflection, self-assessment, there'd be experimentation and learning involved and further reflection and, of course, lots of practice to build new habits to to support yourself to be of your best. And this is so vital because every listener has such a busy life. Nobody's sitting around thinking, oh, I've got all this time. And it's so vital that we give ourselves permission to stop, to think and reflect. And this is what your book really helps people to do is to reflect and notice and get to know themselves in a new way. So what are the benefits of taking the time to work through this kind of process? There's tremendous benefits and very much extending the purpose of actually being able to to self-coach is having the ability to improve your well-being. So a key benefit from actually taking the time, as you suggested, to, to stop and reflect and notice is actually becoming more aware of who you are. Your self-awareness will build. Being able to notice more of yourself allows you to make more informed choices as to how you'd like to hold yourself. What's helping me? What's hindering me? What is triggering me that perhaps is not what I want to show up? And it builds out my self-awareness. It builds out my empowerment. I feel much more empowered because I feel I'm much more in touch with my capabilities and my abilities to perform. That builds my confidence. And when I'm more confident, I'm much more positively minded. I'm more hopeful. I'm more engaged and motivated to perform. So there's, there's this nice ripple effect that starts to roll out. And that's all lending itself to improved well-being because I'm feeling much more comfortable. I don't have to wait for hindsight to come and tell me what I should have done. I can actually have foresight to, to draw on my experiences, use my strengths, think about what's worked for me in the past and craft a new way of navigating towards the, the positive future that I like. And that helps with well-being. And 
There's some nice data points around that. I read a study which talked about people who self-reflect and are able to do so on a daily basis and spend just 15 minutes doing so each day have improved performance by more than 23%. And that would be because they're actually able to manage their stresses, their anxiety. They have much higher job satisfaction as a result because they, they can be much more purposeful in what they're trying to do. It makes so much sense that when we give ourselves permission to stop, we can craft the future in a way that's different compared to when we're just on autopilot. I mean, I'd much prefer to actually be able to to have some input into my destiny rather than to arrive there. Look, it could be a nice surprise, but sometimes it won't be. So by actually stopping and reflecting, I'm beginning to learn more about what are the boundaries that I might want to have. Uh, what's in my control and what's not. I can become much more aware of my own thinking so I can actually test my thinking or the assumptions that I, I might be holding. And so I'm and much more in support of myself to enable myself to live my best or, or even my better life. We don't always have to be the best, but even if it's incrementally allowing me to be a little bit better, it will more likely be more pleasurable in the way I experience life. More pleasurable. That is such a beautiful invitation that if we do that uncomfortable act of sitting quietly and starting to reflect, that eventually over time we're leading ourselves to a life that lights us up instead of this life that we think we should be living based on other people's needs and wants. Well, yeah, absolutely. It's really hard to also mimic other people when you're watching other people have success and try and be just like them. So if we can actually understand how does it feel to be just like me and what are the values and beliefs that I hold that are important for me, then I'm able to to calibrate those with the choices I'm making and that's going to make me feel much more empowered. And I talk about it, it allows me to be of a leader and to lead my way rather just to do leadership things. So that doing and being is, is quite different in terms of the act and the consciousness that comes with it. And when we're much more conscious uh, towards what we're doing, we're much more positively minded. So the solving of complex problems becomes easier because my mind's open to what's possible rather than feeling it's all too hard. I can actually lean into it rather than pull back and shirk away from it. And that's what comes when I'm able to build up my self-coaching muscles. As we're building up these self-coaching muscles, we're building up this concept of self-awareness. Why is that important? Well, self-awareness allows us to be much more mindful of, of what's happening around us. So sometimes people talk about the fact that I'll just keep doing what I'm doing until somebody else tells me otherwise. And it's almost living your life and putting the responsibility for your actions on other people. You know, I'll just keep doing this. Nobody's told me that it wasn't helpful or, or it didn't actually land well. I'm waiting for people to try and inform me. So self-awareness is actually building up my insight. It's building up my knowledge and my understanding of the impact that I'm having and the impact I'd like to have. And sometimes we can have all good intention, but we might not actually be able to realize that intention. It might not actually match. So I can build up some feedback loops through building my self-awareness. And the feedback loops come from two component parts. The first is from myself. I'm able to build out my own understanding of me. What are my emotions, behaviors, and cognitions that are in support of me and which are the ones that aren't? And through getting a better understanding of this and thinking about perhaps the assumptions I hold or the biases I carry, I can actually start to test my thinking and the way I look at the world and see the impact of that. Perhaps I'm also um, having some cognitive distortions, some thinking that isn't helpful. 
I can actually attend to that. So I'm not having self-limiting thinking or maybe catastrophizing every time something happens and feeling uncomfortable. I can start to support myself with different techniques through that self-awareness. The other perspective is gaining it from inviting other people to give feedback because I can have my own self-image, but if I don't test that with other people, I might actually be having or carrying a number of blind spots that I can't see. And so by finding trusted individuals to bring into this feedback loop, I can actually get their advice and build my self-awareness by listening to the perspective that they have of my impact. And that's really important. It's not, it's not a single sourced understanding of who I am. It's actually reading the room, but also seeking some voices from inside the room to also share back, play back to me what they're seeing of me. That's what self-awareness is going to do. And what a gift to get to know ourselves on a more intimate level instead of a surface level and to go that a little bit deeper. You have worked with thousands of people and coached them one-on-one. And what have you started to see as people become more self-aware? What do you notice in them? I think there's you know, a lot more pride that comes with what they're capable of because it's suddenly becoming so much more resourceful and understanding of what they can bring to different situations. And so uh, there's a lesser amount of doubt. Confidence builds when people are more self-aware. You become more in touch with your strength. You guide yourself to be much more purposeful so you understand why you matter, why you're significant and of worth and, and how you add value and why you're of. And when we feel that way, again, our well-being is improved significantly. So if I can become much more self-aware, I can notice how I listen or how I don't. I can notice how I communicate or, or perhaps the quality of my communication could be improved so I can build and maintain relationships with people. So people are engaging in a completely different way when they're much more self-aware. You become much more conscious of not only how you're impacting, but how it's landing with other people and how it's, it's supporting the relationships which you're hoping to build. And it sounds like we're softening as humans as we go through the process because so many of us have this default negative, harsh inner critic. And as we're going through this exploration, it sounds like we can just hold ourselves with more care and more compassion. Absolutely. Be empathic to who we are. And really that compassion, that self-compassion, that self-kindness is, is so important in being able to take yourself out of those cognitive situations. You know, those negative stories that we tend to tell ourselves and lean into because they're just so easy to believe. And so that isn't always healthy. So if we can actually stop and have that self-kindness and talk to ourselves as we would as though to a kind friend, we're much more likely to equip ourselves with strategies and practices to be in support of ourselves rather than to bring ourselves down to a place where it's not particularly pleasant and comfortable and not an enjoyable way of, of living our best lives. So for teachers listening, there are two things that they really want more of. One is energy and one is time. So how can self-coaching help us with energy management? It does allow you to gain a, a greater understanding of how you're using your energy. And in a teaching situation, there's the most obvious, which is in the classroom, when you're, you're trying to either build the energy to, to create engagement and excitement, or maybe contain the energy when people, the kids are bubbling over too much. There is a, a lot that we bring up ourselves into an educational forum when we're teaching, facilitating training and the like. So that can draw on our resources. And so if I'm much more self-aware and I'm able to self-coach myself, 
I can pause and take much more notice of what's happening for me. And I can look at four different states. I can look at my physical state, my emotional state, cognitive state, and spiritual state. And spiritual, I mean, is is my purpose, not so much a religious component, although for some it, it might be what they lean towards. But it's more about what am I doing that feels that makes me feel significant and why I matter in what I do. And I can start to consider how are each of those energy states being supported through my day? Am I getting to the end of the day and feeling absolutely physically depleted? I've used up all my stores of energy. And if so, what could I do during the day to actually take better care of myself? What are the rituals I could build in, whether it's providing myself with with um, food for nourishment or, or water for hydration or stepping out during my breaks and enjoying some sunlight to clear my mind or discharging some of the thoughts that have come from perhaps a stressful time in a, in a classroom or maybe it's been a, a challenging conversation with other stakeholders, whether it's parents or educators or otherwise, what can I do in support of myself so I'm not feeling that I'm carrying the stress through my muscles, through my neck, through the way I'm clenching my drawer? And what can I do around my emotional and cognitive state? You know, if I'm feeling a bit flat or a bit low, what are some of the things that I could do? The small things that might be in support of myself, as simple as picking up your phone, putting on your playlist and listening to one of your favorite songs to boost the, the blood circulation and make you feel much more positively minded or expressing gratitude towards people, which lifts your positive emotional state. Or, or maybe it's even considering how do I boost myself in terms of my resilience? How do I talk to myself about the things that I'm doing well so that I feel much more resilient and confident as I step through this challenge? So there are small steps that you can take to actually manage your energy. And of course, everyone always goes for sleep. And I do encourage people to try and bring that one into the frame as well, because the more that we actually are able to renew our energy, the, the better the stores of energy that we'll have. And so looking at your sleep hygiene and what are the habits that you create around gaining a good night's sleep? How you uh, detach yourself from technology, from TV, from these types of things, putting some good habits in place. All of this requires you stopping and noticing and assessing what are you doing that's helping? What are you doing that's hindering? What are the consequences and the unintended consequences of how you're living your life day to day in the classroom? And what could you do to be better in support of yourself? That's really where you're going to find that you can get that that boost to keep going for longer and to enjoy it much more. And we're really becoming our own coach in that sense of checking throughout the day, how am I going? What's going on here? And then making a decision based on that information where so many of us just race through the day. We're not thinking about strategic moves throughout the day or intelligent decisions. It's just a matter of survival. And so to step back from that, and do things differently and just check in every now and then. I can see that that could really shift our energy over time because we get that uplift of, oh, I'm important. My needs matter. I can make changes and I do have autonomy. Oh, absolutely. That's building your self-determination. And so when we have higher levels of self-determination, we are much more positive in the way that we address um, issues of the day. Uh, it's also about giving us space to think about how we're using our time. So it could be that I'm seeing and feeling tremendously busy all the time. And is there a lot of activity or is it productivity? Quite different. And we, we often find when we stop, we realize I've got a lot of activity happening, but I haven't been particularly productive. I've been dancing between lots of different tasks, lots of, of multitasking. And, and I thought that I was all over things, but I haven't really stepped very far forward today. And so actually stopping and noticing what am I spending my time on? How is that purposeful and intentional? 
um, what could I actually be doing and spending more time in that's of worth and how could I engage other people to maybe help and support me on some other activities which they might feel of worth. It could be very purposeful for them. We can actually find that we can allocate our time quite differently if we stop and consider what's really going to be driving us towards a, a better use of our time. Oh gosh, when you said we can get so busy with the activity, not so much productivity, <laughs> that's me. I definitely, when I feel overwhelmed, I get going on all the shallow, insignificant tasks because the big ones feel too hard to go near. And so we can get caught up in this feeling of busy and active, but not really getting anywhere. Yeah, it's a bit of spinning the wheels. But it, if you actually stop and consider, well, what's in my control? What am I able to think about that's not in my control? So for instance, if you've got a deadline and you're doing report, there's a deadline you're working towards. It might not be in your control because you have to hand over the set to the the next teacher in line, but there might be other things that are in your control. So perhaps you've got some meetings that you could reschedule and rather than setting them up and just holding them there and saying they're, they're immovable, perhaps they can be. Perhaps you can find space by looking at how you're using your time or, or how you're perhaps um, using resources that are available to you that w- would allow you to be more productive in how you're doing lesson preparation or facilitation or otherwise. So for the busy people that you work with, where do they begin to create the time to consider these ideas. So they may be listening to the podcast and they're thinking about it, they're flirting with it, but all they're used to is jam-packed morning till evening. Where do we start? You start by being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And what I mean by that is, is what I would ask of you is to actually, even though you're busy, is to find time. And if you can allocate one hour of time for yourself for each week to allow for self-reflection, that one hour is really just 1% of your waking hours each week. So if we assume coming back to sleep, if we assume on average people sleep eight hours a night, that leaves us 112 hours in which we're awake during the week. If we take just one hour of those 112, it's actually less than 1%, but let's round it up, call it 1% of your time investing in you. And if you can find that one hour, whether it's during your school day or whether it's on a weekend or whenever you actually feel you can make sense of finding that time and use that time to stop and reflect and assess and think of how you can experiment to have perhaps build some new habits or try things differently, that's when you're going to be able to better understand, well, what am I trying to achieve here? What are my purposeful goals? And what, how much of my time is actually going towards what's most purposeful for me in the role that I have? How much of my time is going towards the things I just simply must do? I have to tolerate these things and I can't delegate them. And then how much of the time is left that I could actually engage other people to take over these tasks? Where can I free myself up? And also, how can I do things a little bit more efficiently? Sometimes I've just done things because that's how we've always done it. Perhaps by following the status quo, I'm not being as efficient as I could be and as creative in resolving how I solve an issue or how I complete a particular goal or task. So using that hour for the thoughtfulness of of trying to be in support of yourself will take those busy people to be much more productive, still busy. I'm not suggesting that they, they will suddenly have nothing to do. They'll have plenty to do, but they'll be doing things which give them much more enjoyment which gives them much more meaning and fulfillment because they're much more purposeful in what they're trying to achieve. And if they don't know what's purposeful, that's also a point of reflection. Stop and ask yourself, what am I doing that makes me feel like I matter, that I feel I'm significant and I'm of worth in doing this? And once I can answer that question, then I can start to direct my attention to see and how much of my time goes towards doing that. It sounds like these sessions that we have with ourselves 
they're circuit breakers. They're circuit breakers from acting, behaving, feeling in really predictable and familiar ways and noticing the cost. Is it working for me? Would I like to continue in this way or would I like to do things differently? And really allowing ourselves to consider this, which can feel quite foreign. Because we haven't been trained to actually do this with self-coaching. So self-coaching is building a new skill. And hopefully as people work through the book, they'll recognize that in each of the chapters, I'm providing you with self-coaching strategies to allow you to actually do some exercises where you can gain some of those skills to build those self-coaching muscles. I, I refer to it as actually when you leave the house each day, putting on your virtual backpack before you grab your keys and your phone and, and go off for the day of work. And in that virtual backpack, you'll carry a number of self-coaching strategies from the book. So you'll have them located inside. You'll lose the flap of the backpack loosely open so you can reach deep down and pull out what you think might be in support of you in the moment. And if that technique's not helpful, you'll reach in with your other hand and jostle around until you find the right one. It will give you much more comfort. You'll feel much more resourceful and confident by building up that backpack full of strategies because then it's going to allow you to respond to things much more quickly rather than thinking, I don't know where to start or I don't know how to support myself in these moments. So it's that attention to self to allow yourself to be your best self. Once you've actually mastered that, then you'll be more inclined to be able to lead as your best self. So the ripple effect of your own improved well-being will be contagious across those around you. And so the full environment in which you're participating in will have the benefit of your own self-coaching, which is a beautiful thing. I mean, it's leading to, you know, the well-being improved of, of the people in the classroom, in the staff rooms, um, across your stakeholders, across your communities. Step by step, we're in fact trying to make this world a better place by working on ourselves and self-coaching. So everybody has a role to activate in trying to make our world a much more positive place. I love how you lay that out for us, that as we're leading ourselves through these conversations and reflections, we're playing our part in leading others and then having a more sustainable impact in our environment, which is such a powerful consideration as we're moving through the discomfort because it can be so uncomfortable to reflect and to stop. And I know something that stops so many educators from even considering their needs is guilt. Is that something that you've come across in your work? Yeah, well, people often put themselves last. You know, I feel uncomfortable that I'm paying attention to myself because there's so many more important things that I need to attend to and my role requires this of me. But I think you'll feel a lot more guilty when you get to a point where you can't continue because you haven't looked after yourself and you'll be unable to help those who are relying on you or, or who require your support. So if you wanted to reframe it and change your mindset to be understanding the fact that if, if I don't pay attention to myself and don't look after myself, I'm going to be unable to show up as my, as my best self and therefore my impact is going to be lessened and then I won't be in support of the people who are relying on me. There'll be a negative contagion of my mood, of my behaviours, of my emotional state. That's not a great environment to be and that's not a great way to lead myself. It's not the type of life that you're going to really enjoy and where you're going to grow and learn. You're actually moving yourself and pulling yourself away from opportunities. So to enable yourself to see more opportunities, to have that growth mindset of, of a continuous learning stage of life where you have curiosity and an openness to what's possible, 
you'll be role modeling that to the students who are around you. And that will have a much more positive contagion than if you aren't paying attention to how you can do that for yourself. And we can role model to our young people the power of reflecting that we don't always have to be in action to be productive. Absolutely, yes. I mean, reflection is is hugely important for us to gain more insight. And in the absence of reflection, there's a lot we're not seeing. So this is absolutely something that teachers could use within their classrooms to be teaching their student how to to stop and learn to reflect and see themselves as as somebody else may see them. And there's a bit of a, a story that that could be built with the students to try and help them understand the terminologies and, and the, the, the proposition around that. But then to start assessing how it's in help and support of themselves or how it's not and learning about uh, consideration of the consequences and unintended consequences. There's big learning steps in that for students, but it, it could be hugely effective in giving them the building block so as they continue through their life, it becomes a very natural exercise for them to take notice of themselves and, and the possible impact they can have. And importantly, although the book is called Be Your Own Leadership Coach, leadership is not necessarily positional. You don't have to have a title. And so if we teach that also to our students, that leadership is an act or a set of behaviours and it's the habits that we build, they can all start to consider how they're leading the way. How are they contributing to the conversation in class and sharing a diverse perspective? That's leading. How are they making sure they don't walk past bad behaviour but actually stop and help people? That's leading. So there's lots of different examples that could come up to life in what actually is leadership. And how do we ensure that we lead ourselves to be our best selves? Yes. And your book is just filled with so much practical wisdom where people can dive in and support themselves. And I'm curious to know, out of all the chapters, which one's your favourite? I have to say I do have a favourite, although my kids always say, oh, you've got a favourite child. No, I don't, but I do have a favourite chapter. (laughs) The favourite chapter for me is kindness in leadership. I have two values that I've tried to live my career with, uh, very much honouring those values, the values of family and the values of kindness. And I'm really impressed when I meet leaders who can bring kindness into their leadership because it has our ability to be kind to ourselves, which we were talking to earlier. So that inward focus of understanding how can I be kind and in support of myself and be compassionate to where I am in that moment? How do I support myself? But it's also got a really strong external view. How can I bring kindness to leadership in how I engage with other people and the impact I can have? And there's a bit of a misunderstanding that kindness is not leadership. Kindness is being nice or being soft. But I can assure you, kindness is not always in that frame. Sometimes you have to make some really tough decisions to be kind. And leadership really needs to turn its attention to how can I be kind in the full of fullness of the system of which I'm leading? What do I need to do to inform people, to support people, to ensure that I am not putting up with behaviours that are not kind or, or allowing for diversity or inclusion or otherwise? How am I giving feedback? And the feedback at times might feel uncomfortable and there might be some tension, but I still need to be kind in delivering that feedback. How can I ensure that person learns the impact of their behaviours? and is able to try and step forward to choose other behaviours so that they can have a different impact. So I do really enjoy, I did really enjoy writing that chapter, reflecting on I'd actually tried to live a year of leading kindly and I tried every day to come up with a different act of kindness that, that wasn't, as I called it, business as usual. 
So it stretched me from a cognitive point of view each day to think, well, what have I done that's kind towards others? I kept notes on it. How can I actually ensure that it's something that has had the impact that I intended it to have? And it it was quite quite a stretch, but quite a lovely way to live. And it allowed me, I guess, to live a bit more lightly in terms of the the positive emotion that flows when you do engage with kindness, not only for yourself, it certainly is a feel good, but also you can see the impact of what you're doing with others. And even if it's with somebody saying, well, I really needed to hear that. Thank you. I've been kind in helping to support them to see or or understand a blind spot, which they otherwise didn't have. Or maybe it's the smallest of acts, simply a smile to make people feel that they're also visible and noticed and and feel like they matter. You know, a nod of the head, a thank you to a bus driver as I get off the bus. The smallest of things can make the biggest of impact and can lead to much more positive pro-social behaviour. And I think we, again, coming back to what's the imprint that we want to have on the world, if we all think about how we set kind business objectives and look at deadlines appropriately and look at resourcing towards projects appropriately, we can actually allow people to enjoy their work in in a much more positive way and get a lot more pleasure from it. So it adds to our well-being. And I love how you've highlighted that it was a deliberate act, that you challenged yourself to be a kind leader on purpose and how it really stretched you to go beyond that idea of business as usual because I think we can get stuck in or just go through the motions and you've highlighted beautifully that it takes consideration and effort to do these things. Which to me is fun because if you think of something that you start to do, if you set yourself a goal and you're actually enjoying it and you're being a little bit creative and you're testing yourself, what else could I do that could be a different um, action that could be kind towards people or or, or maybe there's something I could send somebody that they would enjoy reading that I hadn't really thought of before. I was finding myself connecting with people I'd been in primary school with just to say, hey, you know, I was thinking of you the other day, where have you got up to? And, and just making them feel pleased that somebody's remembered something about them. You know, there were all sorts of different things that cropped up, but it is a very much a consciousness. It is very deliberate. It's very intentional, but it's also, it actually feels quite lovely. And I would encourage people to try and adopt that approach um, in the way that they lead themselves. And you'll feel that the people around you feel much more supported and much more likely to engage in discretionary effort towards things that they're doing because they feel like they're recognized. They feel like they matter. And they can see that it's appreciated. To wrap up this incredible conversation, Karen, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Sure, I'll give it a go. I am inspired by? I've got two sons and I'm inspired by their zest for life and the way that they bring new perspectives to me so I can see um, see the world through a different set of eyes. When life feels hard? Oh, I, I pause and I try and regain my perspective. An underrated skill is? Oh, this one. I'd have to say touch typing. <laughs> Do you know what you can achieve when you can touch type? <laughs> it can take years off <laughs> everything you do. And I am looking forward to. Well, I'm looking forward to going to India early in the new year. My book um, is going to be um, published by another publisher in India. And I'm hugely excited that I'm able to visit India with purpose and hopefully help other people uh, across the globe with bringing light to how they can also self-coach and support themselves in having their best life. Karen, thank you so much for crafting this book so we have the opportunity to get to know ourselves better and also lead from a much more purposeful place. And thank you for being guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Meg. 
enjoyed chatting with Karen and I loved how she highlighted the importance of kindness and practical ways we can bring a little more kindness to ourselves and others. Karen's book, Be Your Own Leadership Coach, Self-Coaching Strategies to Lead Your Way is now available online and in store. To learn more about Karen and the wonderful work she's doing in the world, see the show notes for more details. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with anyone you know that would benefit from listening. To learn more about the ways that I can help you and your school community thrive, visit my website, openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak, learn about my game-changing wellbeing programs, or download my free five-step energy guide. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 102. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing, and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week. Until then, take care and take deliberate action.